The Murder Shelf Book Club contains disturbing content related to real-life crimes. Listener discretion is advised. Cuddle up a little closer, lovey mine. Cuddle up and be my little clinging vine. Like to feel your cheeks so rosy. Like to make you comfy, cozy. Welcome back, Murder Bookies, to my CrimeCon 2022 interview with Russ Faria, Cousin Mary Anderson, and Carol McAfee. It has been a while waiting for this release, but a wait was well worth it. This is one of the most complicated cases books I've covered, so please listen to the episodes on Bone Deep, 40 through 43, before this interview. You really need to know the story for context. And please keep in mind, I did my very best, but we've recorded this in my hotel room in Las Vegas, so editing can be challenging when you're out of the studio. It's really not bad. It's not. But I do endeavor for perfection for you, always. Now, a little tiny bit of background here. Russ Faria is the wrongfully convicted husband of murder victim Betsy Faria, stabbed to death in their home in December 2011. After a police investigation that was plagued by tunnel vision and confirmation bias, one of the worst prosecutors in judicial history, and an inexperienced, arrogant judge completely ignorant of criminal law, Russ was convicted in 2013. With the support of defense attorney Joel Schwartz, Russ won a new trial and was finally exonerated in 2015. With attention turning to the woman last known to be with Betsy the night she died, Pam Hupp. If you saw the NBC Hulu series, The Thing About Pam, or any of the Dateline episodes, you may recognize that name. In an effort to redirect attention back to Russ Faria, Pam Hupp came up with a convoluted plot to frame Russ, likely again. Driving around to find an accomplice, presenting herself as Quote, Kathy, a producer from Dateline, unquote, Pam first spoke to Carol McAfee. How would she like to make $1,000 in cash for making some sound bites for Dateline? A suspicious Carol agreed, getting into her car, prepared to defend herself if necessary. She quickly deduced that this is not on the up and up and demanded to be returned home. Fortunately, Afterwards, Carol reported the crazy woman driving around trying to pick up people for nefarious reasons to the police, and it would turn out this was the turning point in the investigation that followed. Still needing another victim, Pam Huff found a cooperative 33-year-old man, Louis Gumpenberger, who had suffered a traumatic brain injury. Louis agreed to make the sound bites with, quote, Kathy, going to Pam Huff's home. There, Pam called 911, reporting an attempted kidnapping, intruder, and shot Lewis dead. Lewis was found with a note in his pocket directing the assault on Pam, saying to get Russ's money and to make it look like Russ's wife's murder. Quickly, the O'Fallon PD, who were very competent, recognized that with his disabilities, Lewis Gumpenberger could not have done this nor planned it. 
nor was Rosferia affiliated with Lewis in any way. And they connected Carol's report of Kathy from Dateline, resulting in the arrest of Pam Hupp. Pam later took an Alfred plea, not admitting guilt. But there was enough evidence to convict her of the premeditated murder of Gumpenberger, sentencing her to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Today, Pam Hupp is charged with the murder of Betsy Faria and is being investigated in the death of her mother, Shirley Newman. And I will update you as this develops. Meanwhile, now we are going to get to hear directly from Russ, Carol, and cousin Mary Anderson, who are raw, passionate, and brutally honest. Mary Anderson, Russ's cousin, provides us with many behind-the-scenes insights into what families suffer through when wrongful convictions occur. I deeply believe that hearing from the victims and their families is all important, and I hope this might provide some help and support for others in this situation. So, here goes. This is Jill, and I'm sitting here with Russ Maria and Carol McAfee and Mary Anderson, and we're just going to have a chat about what's happening here at CrimeCon. We are at CrimeCon. <laughs> <laughs> It is a pretty cool event over here. We just checked in this morning and already been uh, making some really good friends and connections and stuff. That is definitely going to happen here. You are the rock star. I am quickly realizing that. <laughs> Walking around and being recognized and people want to get my picture and whatnot. It uh, can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes, I know. It really can. Thank, thank you so much because I'm, I'm sure a million people would love to have an interview with you and you work gracious enough to agree. I try to. When I have time, you agree to anything that I think is a really good project. And it looks like yours is. Well, thanks. Uh, as we were discussing, and I think it's a really good way to get a message out there to folks and uh, raise awareness. So you're talking about you asking for a lawyer after, what, 35 hours, 40 hours of questioning? Yeah, it was somewhere around that time. Yeah, and no sleep, shock, and all of this. They told you that that was a sign that you were guilty. Yeah, they said, as soon as they asked for a lawyer, that be, you know, that was the officer's quote. Raymond Floyd was that guy who's since been promoted to captain. That is disturbing to me. Yes. We talked a little bit about the whole idea of prosecutorial immunity. And something's gone amiss with that. It has. It's not being used in the spirit that the law was written. And it needs to, at this point, just go away or be amended in such a way that it can't be abused, where prosecutors can use it maliciously, prosecute individuals, send them to prison for life, send them to death. What I like to say is you have potentially thousands of serial killers in the United States, and they're called prosecutors. They're going to do this maliciously, and they're not being held accountable for their actions. Then what's stopping them from doing it? I completely agree. I just think that it is happening. It needs to be addressed. And of course, in our system, 50 states all need to address it. Exactly. We're going to be busy. Yes. (laughs) If we can do something on the federal level, fantastic. Uh, It starts at the state level. Yeah. So murder bookies, you don't have anything to do tonight? Start contacting people about prosecutorial immunity. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. Many of us exonerees will tell you that's one of our biggest passions. Uh, Ryan Ferguson will say the same thing. Rodney and I had a discussion about it last night. 
you know, it's it's a big passion for all of us because these prosecutors have done these things maliciously. I don't want to put the bad guys Sad in jail. Yeah. I don't want to put the not bad guys in jail. Yes. They know they can get away with it. They know they're protected. And Mary, you are 100% correct. That's why that has to be, has to be changed. It does. We can fight for it. You know, if everybody becomes aware, I mean, I've, I've talked to many people that didn't even ever hear of that term. And then when I told them that term and said, hey, look, look this up and this is what it means. You can look it up on the long line or wherever you, you want to get information. It says that they have carte blanche, you know, and people weren't aware of it. But now that they are, they're like, hey, no, there's nobody that should be above the law. Time to fix it. Yes. Yeah. I also wanted to give Mary a chance to tell your part, because I don't think they got into you too much in the NBC series thing about Pam. You're fleetingly in the book. So I really want to let you tell your story and how you contributed to all this. What a lot of people don't know is things actually started the night before Betsy died. We, my mom and I, were over at Russ's mom's house. We were all celebrating Christmas together. And my Aunt Lucy was doing dishes. And my mom and I were sitting at the table with Betsy and her oldest daughter, Leah. Mm -hmm. And Pam had started texting Leah that night, wanting to take Betsy to chemo. And she kept telling her mom, and Betsy kept saying, I don't need her to take me because Bobby's in town. And this went on 45 minutes to an hour. And she kept being real persistent about it. And I had finally said, well, why is your sister being so pushy? Because I thought that's who Pam was. Pam Walker, not Pam Hub. Correct. And that's when she told me, she goes, no, it's this friend of mine, Pam Hupp. She said she's starting to get a little annoying and a little persistent and pushy with me. And that was the first time I ever heard of Pam Hupp, her so-called best friend. So to me, that was just kind of weird, but okay, whatever. And then the next morning is when I went on Facebook. I had a friend from high school whose dad was dying and they were keeping everybody up to date on Facebook. And I went to look. And that's when I came across a post from her youngest daughter, Mariah, about her being gone. So I called my aunt to ask her about that's passing, and my aunt had no idea. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. So I called one of our uncles, his wife, because they had got close from breast cancer. She's like, no. And I said, well, you need to call her and tell her, don't be putting stupid posts out there about that's passing. I said, because if Betsy sees it or Russ sees it, there's a problem. At right. that point, his sister Rachel called me and wanted Linda's number. I said, I'll phone with her. And I was like, what's going on? And she wouldn't tell me. And I proceeded to tell her what I had seen. And I knew, I knew something was wrong. And I went straight over there. And Lincoln County was there. And they wouldn't tell us nothing. And they yelled at me because I had been online. I had said something about it. And they started asking, well, why are you on Facebook? And I'm like, everybody's on Facebook. I said, but I was checking to see if my friend's father passed away. And then they didn't like that I was digging around asking questions. I'm like, well, where's my cousin? Mm -hmm. And from that point on, they didn't like us. So I told Richard, so let's go. We're going out to Lincoln County to the police department now. So to me, that was a red flag. Oh, yeah. This lady started this texting last night. That was the first thing. And they would not tell me where he was. And they started saying, well, he's out trying to find the person that did this. I'm not stupid. They don't take the person out to look for him. We later found out that 
that's when they were doing the lie detector test. Hours were going by, and I'm like, well, how come he hasn't made a phone call? I called an attorney that I had worked for, my very first attorney I worked for, which was Andy Beanie. Mm-hmm. He told me, he goes, don't worry about it. He goes, I'll just go get him. And that's when Andy picked him up and brought him home. We went to the same church. But that's when Andy told me. After they handcuffed me and brought me back up to Lincoln County and put me in. Finally, after all that time, I got to make my phone call. And I called my mother's house and talked to Mary. And it's just, you know, it's the only lawyer I knew. It came to my mind. I don't know what kind of lawyer he is. I had already had it taken care of. Well, yeah. can you call Andy? Because I knew she knew it as well. And he's the one that kind of got me out first time. So then, you know, we thought everything was going to be okay. But then Pam was already calling these news stations and giving all these stories. Well, I'm already calling these news stations back and correcting everything she's saying. And I'm like, no, you need to recant that. I said, I'm family. So I'm trying to stay on top of everything. I'm thinking, okay, so this is something else this crazy lady's doing. Betsy is, is dead, right? Correct. This horrendous thing happened. You're being detained for hours on end when you're hunting the, the person who did it. Give me a break. And now you're fighting false reports supposedly coming from Pam Hub, who said she had nothing to do with anything, of course. All of this in this time of grief. Right. And, you know, and then we're trying to make sure that his mom and dad are okay. Yeah. For the stress they're under now. They're making it sound like he's, he's free finally, everything's okay. Well, the oldest daughter, Sharon made all these phone calls, right? Well, we find out that they got her a lawyer. Mind you, I haven't even hired Joel for him. At this point, he does not have a lawyer. The oldest daughter has a lawyer. Huh. Which is kind of weird. The police take her fall. So things were kind of starting to look kind of weird. I'm putting all this together in my head. I'm like, okay, so they're communicating. She's got a lawyer. The youngest did not have a lawyer. Why are you going to get one daughter a lawyer and not the other daughter? That's just somewhat peculiar. It's not like they've even been brought in for a question yet. She's also the daughter that was the alibi or for making those phone calls. Okay. So we had the funeral. Pam comes in and causes a huge scene. She's calling my uncle a murderer. She's getting in faces of this person and that person. Her husband's getting in the face of this person and that person. She's in his sister's face, or her husband is in Rachel's face and saying, hit me, go ahead and hit me. It was huge circus. Who does that? Who behaves that way at a funeral? She's sitting there and she's too busy trying to deflect everything off of her. To me, she's making it stand out. So we go back to go to Russell's house the day after the funeral. Rachel calls me. She's like, where are you? I said, I just pulled in your subdivision. She says, they're here. They arrested him. So I come flying in. He's sitting in the car. I get out. My Aunt Pam goes to run in the house. I'm trying to go to the car to hear. And you hear somebody screaming, telling me, stop. And then they're hollering, don't trust her. I'm like, okay. Am I going to steal him out of the car and take off to Mexico, Italy or something? Where am I going to go with him? Let me go over there and see that he's okay, because all I can see is this look on his face, the little bit that I can see of him, and what are you doing? Oh. What am I going to do with him? Yeah, where are you going? So we get in there, and they're arguing with me. They're arguing with my cousin. They were just as rude as can be. And I kept asking him what he was arrested for, and they kept saying first-degree murder. I get that. And this kept going on. I said, no, I want you to tell me what is it, because... You just took these new things out of the house, pieces of evidence that you said won't be back for 11 days. They haven't been processed yet. No, that is correct. It had only been two days, and you told me 11 days. 
what is the warrant for the arrest based on? Rachel kept saying, where's the warrant? We've got one. Okay, well, where is this warrant? Because you didn't show us one. And you're going to tell me you took stuff out of the house that I let you back in. We cleaned that house. Our handprints are all over that house. Well, they released it. Of course they did. But, and we had already been in there and cleaned it multiple times. So you're not going to tell me that you've seen this, this, or this. And you took these four pieces out and there was blood on that and there was blood on this. Well, his handprint was on the glass door. So that's his house and he let the dog out. I got news. I've got hand and fingerprints. It's all over my house, too. Right? Right? And my, and my hair. Yeah, you do. Oh, yeah. If you brush your hair, I'm all over this hotel room. I mean, holy mackerel. So, it doesn't mean I murdered anybody it's in the hotel room. Exactly. Right. It sounds like the crime scene is tremendously contaminated. Oh, absolutely. They released it back. When they first released that house, the smart thing I did is I went in there and I took a picture of every inch of that house. And when I say every inch, there's four discs. I took from one end of the house, to, and I'm talking piece by piece by piece. There was nothing I didn't take a picture of. And I'm being totally facetious, but I'm sure your camera did not malfunction. No, it did not. It's amazing. <laughs> Isn't that? I had to. I can promise you it did not. But the pictures really didn't show anything, right? No. Making sure that I had everything covered. So when that night, I panicked because I'm like, who do I call? And my best friend's like, you worked for him. So quarter to 11 at night, I called Joel. And that me in the morning, well, I brought those discs. I kind of weird, but I had a timeline of every single thing that had happened from that first moment. Mm-hmm. Wrote down who did this, who did that. Everything was wrote down when we went. Yeah. So I gave everything to Joel and I told him. I knew without a doubt he didn't do it. But look at this lady. And this is why I think she did it. Well, you're right. I didn't know it started literally beforehand. Yep. That she's setting up to be driving her. That was really important for her. Yes. Oh, for her to start right. the next day asking, well, you already knew the night before you weren't needed. Yeah. So why did you start that day again? Not only needed. She wasn't wanted. She wasn't wanted. She, Betsy, right, wanted to spend time with she Bobby. She wanted one-on-one time right. with Bobby Wong because Bobby was in from Texas. Oh. Yep. So it started then. So you knew. Something. And Joel, fish. you know, Joel's like, oh, this is clean. This is a clean cut deal. There's no reason. Why is he there? He's like, I'll go down and see him right now. And he did. And when he called me, come back into the office, he's like, he has no reason to be in there. He goes, we're going to get him cleared. He assured me it was a misunderstanding that I'd be out of there within a month or two. If you're a logical, rational person looking at the evidence, I still have a Dateline interview with the prosecutor, which did not do her any favors. You like her morals and ethics? She's going to put up against anybody? They said to her, they said, I think it was Keith Morrison, and he said they had this evidence, they had receipts, they had video, they had, you know, all of this evidence. And she goes, well, there's things about his alibi that disturbed me. And I'm like, what's a good alibi? Right. Lady, what is a good alibi at this point? I mean, how much more do you need? My God, if I get in trouble, what, if I don't have video, if I don't have receipts, I don't have, how much more do you need? Right. I like you go out of your way to get those things. They found the Arby's receipt crumpled in the floor of the truck. Here's my perfect receipt. It became a life's mission after that. It was literally I, everything I could do. You were constantly, I was talking to people in different countries. I in the UK, who was a blood spatter expert who wrote books. 
He was telling me what type of blood spatter expert we needed, what type of pattern we needed to look for, which helped us with the slippers. And luckily, me and Joel had that kind of communication that I could go to Joel and say, hey, this is what we need. And Joel wasn't the attorney that would say, let me do my job. No matter how bad it was, how stupid it was, how small it was, he would listen and he would consider what I said and anything and everything I had, he would do. I mean, I didn't leave a page unturned. I went out there. I looked. I checked everything. It just, it had to consume you because that was the only way he was going to come out. I mean, I fought with prosecutor's office. I fought with detectives, cops, but you just got to act like you're not afraid. You can't let them see. Oh, you had to be shaking in your boots because let's face it. None of us knows how to do this. I mean, no. This is a true crime. We've picked up a lot of information, but were I accused of murder tomorrow? You don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And that's what it is. (laughs) Yes. That right to remain silent is important. You know, even if you don't think you were being accused, which is my case, I didn't think I was being accused for a very long time. But in retrospect, when they decided to take me down to the police station, I just said, well, you know, I think I need a lawyer at this point. It might have turned out differently. Maybe, maybe not. I but don't you, know. But you're in shock and you think you're being helpful. Right. Well, you want to help find the murder of your wife. Of course you do. Tell the truth. Who Tell the truth. You? Listen to the police. The police. They're sworn to protect and serve. My mother taught me to tell the truth growing up. And most people did. So, you know, you're doing everything you were taught. And then you get punished for it. You know, she said she couldn't do this. She couldn't lift that. She had a bad back. I follow her and catch her and video her. Working in her yard, picking up big bags of soil to prove she didn't have a bad back. Yeah. She's oh, I can't do that. Betsy was stronger than me. I have a bad back. Well, I got proof that's not true. Well, you actually do the search for evidence and you get her medical records to find out if the last person seen with the person who was murdered. Right. Is that accurate? It was to do that part. And I've sat there and videotaped the actual, let's get her in person. Let's see what she's doing. Let's follow her and watch what she does. Thank God for you. Mary, you know, I wish every falsely accused person had a Mary. I would great. Was, we mentioned some of them here today, you know. All of us have a champion because if you're wrongfully accused, wrongfully convicted, there's something that is a very big part is that you're locked up and there's absolutely nothing you can do. Yeah, it's like you there's, get freedom to make all these phone calls. Right, to fight for your own freedom. You have to depend on somebody else. Right, because my thing to him is I told him, I said, you know what, just keep your head low in there. I said, and you worry about you. I said, I'll worry about what's going on out here. You just take care of yourself there. And that's all you can do. I do not want to cut you off, but I just remembered something I was reading in the book. You first get in there, you befriend Mark, the big dude. Yeah. You're told that the police asked so-and-so to beat you up. Yeah. And I'm like, all right. Maybe I'm just really ignorant of corrections. That's really not supposed to go on that way, right? I mean, am I like, what the hell? No, no Ryan McCarrick, that was another one of the things that he did that is really wrong. He actually wrote a report that I confessed to, to this person, Mike Farley was his name, I believe, and so on and so forth. And then sent Mike Farley in there, and then they were moving me from a cell that I was in, getting along with those people. They don't. You know, they don't usually do that. But, and the COs only can go by what the cops tell them to do. Of They're course. following orders. 
So when orders come down from above, that's what they do. And they're going to put me in there while this guy's talking about how he's going to whoop me. I don't know him or whatever. I'm like, okay. And I got to go in there. The big guy downstairs is like, hey, you know, if you touch him, it's going to be like that for you. And that's kind of proper. Yeah. You're going to get yours. Don't worry. Because I know who you are. And when I got in the cell with the guy, I don't know if that had something to do with it. The guy just wasn't going to do it anyway. Whatever the case is, it didn't happen. Well, you did we threw the chair fight. around yeah. and hit a button, and then they took him away. And then that was that. Who so. says that all playing isn't a skill? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Right. Seriously, man. Uh, listen, there's so much to be absolutely indignant and outraged over. But I'm like, wait. The cops are having people beat you up. Like, like being in jail isn't punishment enough. You haven't even been tried yet. You're still sitting in jail. And they're going to have people beat you up. I, it's, it was, like I said, worst criminal in the world. Mass murder. Serial killer. People don't beat up on each other. I mean, it, no. that's not the way this is supposed to work. I, right. I guess I'm an idealist. I, an ignorant idealist. It just absolutely drove me crazy. It's inhumane. You're being punished. Yeah. The punishment is the punishment. Yeah, I know there's a prison culture, you know, all of that you have to, to navigate, which God bless you. I mean, just, oh, gross. We hit one thing after another day after another day. You know, just, if we weren't living it, I would have never believed it. If it's a fiction crime novel, I don't think you'd get it published. It sounds insane. No. No. If you did, because, you know, a lot of people have a story and, you know, it's twisted, but then it kind of works well. Ours was just everything. Well, you had this investigation, if that's what you want to call it. It was bad. Then you go to court. You got a bad prosecutor. You got a bad judge. You got people that should have been on the jury. Yes. Yes. You know, and then one's sleeping, one's related to the judge, you know. Then when you find out the juror said, well, we didn't really know. So we just assumed and we thought, well, he could get an appeal. And I thought, you serve the time and we'll let you pay for the next trial. How's that work for you? The prosecutor that was on my case. And I can tell you this because I was there for the deposition when she was in California with Bobby Wan. She literally was, was at that deposition drunk. I dare her to prove me wrong. So, yes, there she is, folks. <laughs> and then you got the judge who had no idea what she was doing. So she's going to the prosecutor and saying, what do you think I should do? Yeah. It's like, are you kidding me? My belief, my, my opinion is that when she delayed, the judge, Christine Menemeyer, delayed on ruling on something, it's because she was looking it up. She had no idea. Oh, I'm sure. Or Leah what she should do. Because anything that Leah told her to do, that's what she did. Yeah. Hands out cookies to get elected as a judge. That's literally what the judge did to get voted. What a lot of people don't realize about this case is Judge Dan Dildine was the first judge assigned to my case. He was a good judge, and he wasn't putting up with Leah's bullshit. Uh-huh. And I honestly believe if, if he had tried that case, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. I don't think so either. <laughs> I think you're right. He wasn't putting up with anything. He was following the law. She drops the charges against you, which drops you and this trial out of his, yes. his court. Well, it takes you from the top of the line, the front of the line, to the back of the line. And the same day, reissues the charges. Now, right. what is that? That's, that's a loophole. That they're able to do that so right. they can take you from the front of the line to the back of the line. They know the judge is going out. Which he wound up doing. And she knows her buddy is going to be there at the first yeah. of the year. And it's going to take a whole another year to get in front of the judge Now, when, when he was issued a new trial, Leah 
was so sure that it was not going to be Judge Omar to actually take over the trial. And she goes, oh, so you're going to be the judge? Then he started talking, and she kept trying to tell him. He's finally, he's like, how about you stop telling me how to do my job? Like he tried the case and I'll do my job. He was getting quite frustrated. And yeah. she's like, well, did you do this because of my affair? And he's like, I didn't even bring up your affair. I'm not really interested in your affair. He's like, I don't even care about that. You know, but that was more of her concern. Yeah, that's what she was worried about. Not long after that was when we decided to do the bench trial. Because I had already talked to him. I was like, Ross, I don't think you should do a jury. I said, I don't trust the jury out there. I said, I, I think you're better with a bench trial. And I didn't even know what that was at that time. I said, it's just the judge makes the decision. All right, at least he will have thought about it. The judge knows the law. Yes. I've been on a couple juries, and I suspend everything, and I just focus on the evidence. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. But because I taught civics and all this for years, it's a sacred obligation. It was civil cases, not criminal. I never sat there in the jury and kind of said, well... I'll make my own theory. It's like, no, no, no. You stick to the, the evidence. evidence. Oh, and it wasn't but a, a week or two later that, yeah, exactly. that Joel brought it up and he seen the look on my face. He goes, okay. He goes, what are you thinking? I looked at him and I said, I already told him that I thought we needed a bench trial. By that time, I had already heard about this guy that served 10 years and got out, right? Literally the week I was convicted, this guy, Ryan Ferguson, right? And now I'm out, you know, and I'm able to actively participate in my own defense. And I do research and I find out that Ryan Ferguson and I have some similarities. One fact is that he had a change of venue. So he got a jury from not his area, which Wait. he was from Columbia, Missouri. They brought in a jury from, guess where? Lincoln County. County. <laughs> and so I said to myself, well, there was a jury that convicted him from Lincoln County. A jury from Lincoln County convicted me. Do I really want to give him a chance to strike out once again? No, I don't think Let's so. Stick with the judge, yeah. Let's stick with the judge. And, and plus, there's been so much publicity. Some of it more positive, but some of it also, you know, arrested the murderer. Well, we were still dealing. Pam had her little minions running around and harassing us. She was just transfixed. I can't wait for her trial. I cannot wait for her. Trial. You're not the only one. I, I suspect you want it more than I But yeah. I'm very forward to doing something that I haven't done to this day. That's get on the stand. Put your hand up. Say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and not to tell the truth. Just let me tear. I've been doing it for as long as I can remember. And, you know, I'm going to use the truth to hopefully punish the people that need to be punished and to go out there and spread a very valuable and important message. Yeah. Pam is a narcissistic sociopath. Can't say she's crazy. She's not. Oh, I'm doing a, a bit of a profile. She's cunning. She's not crazy. Crazy kills you for no reason. Plan three murders. Yeah. She had a deliberate plan in her mind way before those phone calls and texts and whatnot. Oh, yeah. She already had that going. She knows. Didn't she, like, come back into Betsy's life, like, after, like, years? I mean, they worked together. They worked together. Then, you know, Betsy wasn't working there anymore. And so they kind of drifted out of touch a little bit, but then Betsy was diagnosed with cancer and Pam started coming back in her life. But I mean, I never thought anything of that because well, we all have a distant friend. Then you find out your friend's really sick and, and dying. You want to you spend more up. time with them, you know, because now all those times when you say, hey, we should get together. 
you, there might not be any time to get late. together. So you want to do that. So that's what I thought it was an honest thing. I met the woman a half a dozen times. And she only met you three times. Three. You know, I did a coursework on half spot liars. So one of the things about liars, the number three pops up frequently when you're talking to a liar. That seems to be the just go-to number. Well, I only met really? Russ three times. Okay. And I'm reading I, this in the book and I'm like, mm, all right, that's interesting. <laughs> the number three. Wow. So, okay. so guys, I'm not giving you advice on how to lie. But I am, <laughs> I am giving you advice on how to listen to what other people are telling. That's very interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, here she has been fired two other times. She's been fired twice from <laughs> State Farm for fraud. I mean, wasn't I mean I went as far as calling State Farm and letting them know, hey, you just got wooled here. You guys got caught up in a mess. And I told them, I said, I know you're not gonna be able to communicate with me. I said, but I'm gonna send you a letter, all this in writing. I said, I'm gonna send you the disc of Dateline and I'm gonna send you some copies of our local news. And and what I wrote, I had Chris Hayes look over our local news guy and proofread it to make sure everything was sufficient. And yeah. you did more research than we did. Absolutely. I mean, she did. And then she woke up and did more. Yeah. But I wanted them to know. I said, you guys have actually been had. And I said, I know you cannot reply back to me. And I told him who I was. I was a family member. So I'm going to include a phone number to the lawyer and to Chris Hayes. So whoever one you want to get back with, get back with them. Yes. Because I knew they couldn't get all back to me. Because I could but, be anybody. And yeah, they were really nice. And they, I talked to them, like three different people. They kept tra- ah, transferring. That was not a lie. <laughs> they were all very <laughs> pleasant. One guy was just like, what? And he was like beside himself that this all happened. And, it was a company. And that's what I told him. So she knew people. And the one guy knew and of her. He's like, she's been fired from here. She had been fired in one office for sufficient forgery. And she was fired twice for forgery. Yeah. And then there's the whole forgery. And we don't know about that signature. I still don't know. I mean, handwriting experts say it was Betsy's bud. Was it? You can forge something. And if you've been accused of that in the past. Right. Some people can be good at forging. Who knows? It's suspicious. You have to look at it critically. It's, it's kind of suspicious. You know, nobody ever took a serious look at her. It's like, okay, yeah, I get it. The husband is the first one to be looked at. You know, the spouse, husband, wife, whoever it is. I mean, it's, you know, the way the world is. And that's who I would look at first. Who is the last person to be seen with them? That is the other most likely suspect. And they didn't follow that. Follow the money. Follow the money. And here come the medics. And they're saying rigor mortis is set in. And the blood has coagulated. She's been dead two to three hours. Not a quarter The door was open. That does not give you rigor mortis. No. Because it was cold outside. Medical professional. <laughs> well, it does. Yeah. Oh. Right. It's not the door. Yeah. Two independent people there are saying two to three hours, two to three hours. It's 9.52, I think, when people started arriving. The cops arrived. Medic, right after that. Say by 10 o'clock, go back two hours, three hours. You're between 7 and 8 p.m. Excuse and me. They never wanted to say what time it is. They never yes. wanted to say when it occurred. Is there even a time of death on her death certificate? I have that information in a long time. I'll see if I can find Carol, is this sad? Say anything you want to say. This is the chicken. You got to think, though, Carol. 
think about this. Because I can say for myself, if I did what you did, I can't say that I would have thought to call the police and make a police report. I would have just got out of the whatever. Had you not made that call and made that police report, they would have never been able to call and say, hey, wait a minute. We had this police report and this is what happened. Had that not happened, they could have just got out with maybe manslaughter, if that. And she could have just got a slap on the wrist, time served. She wouldn't be murder one. Mm-hmm. I can promise you that. Tim Walmart has called me two things, and I hate them both. One is a victim. I'm not a victim. She was a horse. There are several victims of circumstance in this situation. If you love Betsy or you love Lewis or Pam's mom, and you were close to them, a friend, a family member, you're a victim of circumstance because you love that person and now you're in pain because you've lost them. There are four true victims in this. Betsy Faria, Russell Faria, Shirley Manning, and Louis Gumpenberger. Those are the victims because they've either died at the hands of somebody else or had their whole life taken from them and destroyed. Yes. I'm a victim of circumstance because I had to run in with him. But I'm walking and I'm talking and I'm breathing and I'm going to marry this man. More importantly, you're a witness. You not be in prison for murder one if you not made that police report. I'm going to tell you now, I'd be dead if you wouldn't have done that. She wanted me. She did. And I would not be here today. She probably repented of me. And that's what would have happened. I don't. I don't regret it. And I've been asked, would I do it the same? Well, yes. Why? Well, because she didn't come up to me with some dateline bullshit. Pardon my language, but that's what it was. She first thing she said when she pulled up to my house and I walked down there to ask her. You babysit. Right. Well, I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, homegirl, you were in a trailer park and you don't know me. Right. Um, so, you know, I kind of looked at her and I was like, no, nah, be all babysit. I don't like kids. Quite verbal, quite nasty, disrespectful. You know, just call you a bitch. And you're still not leaving. You're just sitting there and you're looking at me. And I'm like, what? What do you want? And she's like, well, do you know what a soundbite is? Yeah, I'm not stupid. I know what a soundbite is. I'm not dumb just because I live in the trailer park. You know? Come on. And then she pulled her dateline crap, which I knew was false because one, you are a scrub top in blue jeans. Homegirl, scrub top. I trust people about as far as I can pick up a 10 ton banana and throw it. And I knew she was up to something weird, but I'm that neighborhood mom. All my kids, you know, I've got my Brazier, I've got my twins, I've got all my kids in the neighborhood. They're adults now. Back then they were still, you know, still got Mama Mary Ellen. I got it. Right. Like I'm the house where you got 18 teenagers, you know. You got some weirdo driving around your neighborhood wanting to know if you can babysit and oh I'm actually from Dayton. Plus I got nieces and nephews that run this neighborhood. You gonna hurt me before you're gonna hurt one of those kids. Period. You're suspicious and you just had to know what the heck she was to. Well, when she says, if you count me, you can't bring your keys, your wallet, your cell phone, your cigarettes. Person is, oh, so we're not just doing some shady shit. We're doing some illegal shady shit. Yeah. Bring it on. I want to know what you're doing. I'm no longer allowed to be bored and curious at the same time anymore, if you're wondering. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, it is what it is. I tried to stop her. I'm very protective of Lewis Gumpenberger's story. There are people, you know, that have their opinions. Like somebody posted on the crime page that they were going to bring watches of carpet and they were all just going to sit on them. And I'm like, yeah, because that's real cute. Coming from the girl that was supposed to be laying on that piece of carpet dead that Louis Gumpenberger was laying on. She thinks of that and this is true to people because she thinks of that and I think about when the house was released to me, 
I go in and I see where that carpet was cut and the blood stain is. So I think of that, which makes me then think about what he's seen. So I'm like, do you people understand? The vast majority of us totally get it. And I'm thinking about people are here to tell their story, which could be because it's therapy for them. They want to get it out there. Does it mean exactly. that they don't have triggers and it doesn't bother them? Or the fact that there's a spot yeah. in my closet that has a stain where my husband died. Yeah. That's all still a piece of this, you know? I think that true crime is, it's very popular. And it's great to enjoy listening to it, watching it on TV, you know, the 48 hours, the daylight. Fine, great, watch it. But there's a difference between being a fan and being obsessed. When you get to the point to where you're obsessed, you don't think logically. Like there are people on Facebook that will, just because they saw something on Dateline, on this episode of Dateline, and this thing on this news channel, this one, they fill in the pieces of what they don't know. And people will argue back and forth. And it's comical because I get to come in and say, well, actually, you're all wrong. (laughs) This is what happened. And they're like, oh, and you know. Well, I do, because I'm actually engaged to the man still trying me again. Yeah. Don't go down the rabbit holes. I do this true crime stuff, and I don't enjoy it. I know it's bizarre, but I'm on such a mission to spread correct information. You helped me, and that's how I learned to help him. Yeah. It's because I had to get obsessed watching, because there are people like you and like Dave and stuff that taught me what I was looking for. I had to put myself in somebody's mind, like Pam or any of them, because I had to think, okay, what were they thinking? Okay, what happens if it wasn't Pam and it was somebody else? Why, how would they think? Why did this happen? What were they going for? How did they do this? And I had to get to that. They're good obsessed and they're crazy. Good obsessed is going to be out there helping you fight for, wrongfully yeah. convicted, fight for prosecutorial immunity ending, yes. things like that. Then there's the ones that watch it and become obsessed with somebody. And I got to get to know him. Like I had a lady ask me on Facebook after being told by this man here that we are engaged. She's like, well, is your relationship serious or is he just making up for last time? Have him message me. Sweetheart, you, you look like a fool. And you know what? I don't care. I think it's comical. That's the obsession that bothers me. Like that you have become obsessed with this man and his wife. On social media. There's a detachment where you, some people think they can say do anything they want with no consequence. And that's why there's this thing called block. I'm like, Carol, whoever you were fighting with, I just blocked. Because I'm not listening. I don't let anybody interject themselves into Russ's life in subjects that he's made very clear are not welcome. Betsy's daughters. He's got his reasons. He doesn't need to explain them to anyone. He doesn't. But we have, because people have seen the dateline and they're like, oh, she really misses her dad. Or I hope Russ was nice enough to give Betsy's daughters money. Well, did you know, being that you're going to sit here and talk about what a wonderful person she is, an hour after his arrest, they were at the bank stealing $10,000. It was even an hour. Drain in the account. Smiling on her, laughing. The night that she found out that her mother was murdered. They're down on Main Street, close to their having the time of their life. 17 years old is not a child. Seven is. Seven is. 17, it's close. If yeah. you are raised by me from the time you are three years old, and at 17, someone looks at you in the face and says, your dad killed your mom. The man that raised you and you are a daddy's girl killed your mommy. My mother died when I was two. Mm-hmm. And dad remarried when I was six. And that's my mom. And that's my mom. 
If somebody told you, your mom killed your dad, your dad does. No, at 17, you know right from wrong. You know not to lie. You know not to steal. You should. And my thing was, if you were confused, you knew you could come to us and talk to us. You could say, hey, this is what they're saying. I was on her side. This man right here. You you knew that me and your mom were super close. Okay, why didn't you come to us? You knew your grandma. You could have went to her. Your Aunt Rachel. You could have went to her. We would have talked to you. If there's so much pain in a relationship and it has gone toxic, there's a reason that people end relationships. Just because you think you you don't know what. At 17, the state of Missouri at that time considered you to be an adult, an immature adult. And I'm not saying immature by actions. I'm talking about the cycle of her brain maturing. Exactly. She was not the second time she got on the stand and lied about it. 20 when she got on the stand. That when she got on the stand the first time. I'm on your side here. This man will tell you, I caught tooth and nail for her. You need to talk to her. Even if it's just a conversation, you need to do it. But then it's, I'm going to get on this TV show. And I'm going to do this interview. I'm going to do that one. And well, TikTok and say the lady playing me in a miniseries should give me half the money because I'm broke. You would be okay with your mom being dead if somebody paid you because that's all you talk about is nobody's paying me. I have no respect for that. You can't sit here and tell me I miss my dad. Or allow people on your TikTok to say, I bet he did everything your mom Pam said he did. Heart react in the comment. But the next video, I miss my dad. I have all these pictures. Like, it's fake. And you're fake. Do you know how much we got paid for that? A big goose egg. Do you know how much we cried about it? Not a tear. Yeah. Do you know how much I got paid? I almost died. My mom didn't talk to me for a while because she was mad at me. My dad didn't talk to me for a while because he was mad at me. Best thing that happened to me was my ex-husband moved out. The only payment I got for any of this, the, the hell, the police sitting outside my house watching me. Oh, I've been told I'm, I'm with the first money. Oh, people love to attack me on Facebook. The only thing I got out of this was that, man, that's the best thing I could have ever asked for. That's worth more than any amount of money they could have paid me. Okay, I'm the romantic because I thought that was coming full cycle. I was like, Yes. Sometimes in your lives, you, you certainly get crap to deal with. But then there's this little boon at the end of it. And this was a big boon. You went through hell. I don't excuse it. I walk through the fire and the flame, but I, I haven't let it make me be a bitter person. That's right. I think it's that. That'd be it, Nate. That's the story you need. Yeah. It's an unbelievable confluence of things that came it's together. It's so hard to believe and wrap your head around the whole entire story. All the bullshit throughout the story, but guess what? There's still a happy ending. <laughs> yes. I got into it with a friend of mine that I'm no longer friends with. She's like, I cannot believe you sleep in that bed with him with her ashes on the headboard. Well, for one, she's not up there on the headboard giving us pointers. Okay, we don't need that. So, and for two, I've said this before and I'll say it a hundred times. Piece of that man's heart is always going to belong to Betsy Faria. And in that piece of his heart, Betsy Faria, even after him and I say I do, in that piece of his heart, that will be his wife. And if he didn't love her, and he didn't still care about her, and he didn't miss her, and he didn't get sad, and he didn't cry, I'd have to question his integrity. And if I had a problem with it, I'd need to question my own. So for all the people out there that want to assume she's with him for the money or anything else you want to say, keep talking. Because you don't know. But you just told her. And I love that. You remember on Facebook when we met, I said, thank you. And you're like, thank me for what? And I'm <laughs> I saying, did. Because I had read that and I thought, 
oh my God, she gets it. That love is not a finite construct. That if you love this one 40%, then you only have 60% because it's got to be a now, love is unending. There's not a finite amount. You sprinkle around and decide who gets how much. What kind of love do we have? Agape. And if you don't know what that is? That's boundless. Yes. No, it's, it's a religious term. And it's the kind of love that God has for all of us. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're sorry for what you did, you know, God still loves you. You know, we all make mistakes. We're human. There's nobody on this earth that ever walked that was perfect except for Jesus. And they killed, and they killed him, him for that. Yes, so, exactly. You know, uh-huh. whatever that's worth. It doesn't matter what we do to make each other mad. It happens in couples. There's, there's not a single couple out there that hasn't had it. I have been a raging crab ass for about a week and a half now, and this man's had to deal with it. I don't think you're a raging crab ass. You're going to see me behind closed doors. <laughs> You know, I kind of boil it down to people are like, how do you guys have such a great relationship with all the chaos, the drama? Because we don't take anything serious. We, unless we have a court date for Pam or he's got a speaking engagement. You take- when I have to go do a talk, I wear crazy socks. Oh, that's that's lovely today. <laughs> we take nothing serious unless we have to. And he's never serious. But I wear goofy socks. <laughs> <laughs> And be friends with them first. We were friends for a year and a half before we got together. With everything that's happened, we need something. There's the Midwest Innocence Project. We want to do a chapter just for Missouri. Yes. And but we want to kind of tweak it a little bit because we would like to do it where we also do something for the victims, like the family. Because if you don't have us, we don't yeah. have them. We were saying we need that advocate outside to be their so arms, their them. legs, their voice, their phone calls. And a lot of guys that don't have. And I want to add programs to it, like do food drives and do clothing drives. When they come out, if they don't have families, they're not going to have these things. Like when he first came out, well, my husband passed away. So I was able to give him my husband's clothes because we lost all his stuff. Yeah, of course. And have these programs where we can help them establish their driver's license or ID, get them where they can get their GEDs or get back into school, help them find housing, support, get jobs. Think about a guy like Ryder Lee. You know, he didn't even know how to use his cell phone. He didn't know what it was. He was handed his cell phone. It may as well have been a rock. Yeah. You know, because he'd never seen one. He maybe seen it on TV, but he didn't know what it was. There's such a culture. You know, I have some kind of like computer classes for them. So I want to add programs like that in it. I think it'd be fantastic. I told Russ I'm going to help promote whatever it is. I have been putting things together. I already know what kind of fundraiser I want to start with. And just hopefully I can get that going as quick as possible. Finding that silver lining. Because you know what? It's trying to help me heal and get through things, but it's going to help all these other people. We're also convicted. And like I said, you know, because people forget almost the board you see lawyers or mm-hmm. some of the ones that are wrongfully convicted, they don't think about. Well, someone like me or Kate Lincoln, you know, Mm -hmm. put them on the board so we can speak. Because if you don't have someone like us that support, they're not going to have a chance. I have no doubt you're going to do this because you're so tenacious. With a heart of gold. Yes. My advice to anybody is keep kicking those doors open. Don't don't back down. If you believe in your heart that they're innocent, fight for them. Like me and Kay, I was lonely. 
meet each other, help each other. Because if you guys don't help each other, we can't help them. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you guys. Russ, Carol, Mary, thank you so much. Thank you for what you do. Thanks for the opportunity. I get a lot of opportunities to talk, obviously. But you decided to talk with me, and that means the world to me. He's just a regular guy that's just living his life. I didn't think he's any better than anybody else. With the ladies here, so I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going to stop this now before I cry. And that is where we concluded our chat from CrimeCon. I cannot thank Russ, Faria, Mary Anderson, and Carol McAfee enough. We certainly got passionate and even heated during our conversation. If this case has moved you at all, murder bookies, then let's stop prosecutorial immunity from being abused. It must be reformed so that incompetent and corrupt prosecutors are held accountable for their actions. This is the 21st century. They cannot continue to get a pass when they blatantly violate the law and the civil rights of defendants. I do understand that certain protections are necessary, but not for malpractice of the legal profession and the corruption of justice. That is intolerable. And all 50 states, each one needs to fix this. A federal law would be nice, but the truth is that isn't going to happen anytime soon. So contact your state legislators. Speak up and let our voices be heard. Okay, next up, I sit down and chat with a dedicated murder bookie about this case and others that we have covered in true crime. So do not miss the mini cast coming out in two weeks. Now, my daughter's wedding is also upon us. Yes, I'm very excited about this. So I will be taking some time off from the podcast to address this joyous family event with family and friends visiting. It has been a long time since some of us have seen each other with COVID and all of that. So I will be back after a few weeks hiatus. And I promise, with gusto and a new episode on my next book, which is American Predator by journalist Maureen Callahan. I hope you've been reading along another book that will leave you shaking your head. For 14 years, Israel Keys was one of the most ambitious and terrifying serial killers in modern history, and he went unnoticed flying under the radar, literally. Described by a prosecutor as, quote, a force of pure evil, end quote. Keyes was a predator who struck all over the United States, where he buried kill kits, cash, weapons, body disposal tools, in remote areas of the country. Terrifying. He abducts his victims in broad daylight and kills and disposes of them in mere hours. And then he would return home to Alaska and resume the quiet life of a reliable construction worker and a devoted dad. A chilling, terrifying story. Thank you for listening. Please leave a five-star review and buy me a coffee because I am on Buy Me a Coffee. The link is on my blog at www.murdershelfbookclub.com. Both will really help me grow the podcast and make me murder bookies. Reach out to me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or shoot me an email at jill at murdershelfbookclub.com. I'd love to hear from you. Follow me or subscribe to my show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you happen to listen. Let my episodes pop right into your feed. And until next time, murder bookies, happy reading. Always trust your gut. Source material, snack, drink information on Bone Deep 
is found on my blog too. Written and produced by Jill, all rights reserved. Music by Carl Hosena and lyrics by Otto Harbach.